All right, <laughs> sweet. Uh, so welcome, Giamani and Zachary, to our podcast for Professor Latinx and are talking about Endgame. So to like jump in here out of the cold um, on this like kind of cold actually day with um, I'm hoping most of you guys have graduated because it's kind of not a very nice day to be out there in the ceremonies. <laughs> um, well, actually, you just started. Yeah. This is your first year, yeah. Gia. So in game, you guys tell me what was your like takeaway? Zachary, you want to just throw us in here? Do, do, do we start off with spoilers? You can go wherever you want to do. Okay, okay. This is the biggest one in the film here. Steve Rogers admires his own ass. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. happens. Biggest spoiler in the movie that I'm going to give away to everyone. Does he admire his own ass? Yes, he does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Looks I wasn't at sure it, if comments he was, on it. I wasn't sure if he was uh, critical of his derriere. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. He's very admiring of it. He called it America's ass. America's yes, he did. ass. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was a, comp- a compliment <laughs> or a criticism. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for I, th- taking us right to the, <laughs> the sort of root of the movie here. That's, that's what the whole film is about. That is what all three hours of that film are about. Okay, there. excellent. Uh, just to go in ahead and jump in here, uh, and I have to compare it to Infinity War because that's the film chronologically. It comes right before it. I did start looking at my phone like about an hour and a half in I'm like this this is so poorly paced compared to Infinity War compared to Black Panther uh, I felt like Captain Marvel was uh, also uh, much better paced and when we talked about that film I did have some grievances with the script uh, but in terms of overall plot pacing uh, Endgame just did not do it to me I felt the whole three hours Ooh, okay. Well, that's Guys. quite a launch for us. Um, Imani, what do you, how do you follow I that? definitely agree. I'm not a Marvel fan. One of my friends was like, well, you told me to come do the podcast. I said, probably should watch the movie. Uh, and it, I was like, yeah, everyone's raving about it on social media. And I'm like, this is going to be perfect. And I had just seen Affinity Wars like two days prior. And it was just not the same at all. Infinity Wars, I honestly, like, for me to watch it in my room, I get very distracted. And I felt like I was very engaged in Infinity Wars. But the minute I got into the theater, usually that's when I can, like, zero in on a screen. And I was like, this is still happening. Yeah, okay. It was the hour and a half mark where it was like, so nothing has happened yet. But I guess if you're more of a Marvel person, all of those minutes probably added to something. But uh, yeah. for me, they were like, we could have cut a couple of scenes and all right. sped it up. Sure. Gia, what, do you, what was your sense? Right. I mean, I'm kind of like that where I, uh, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan. But, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, but I did go with my friend who was, like, on the other hand, a big, a big fan. And she probably understood a little bit more of the things that I thought might have been a little unnecessary. Um, they probably had like a little more meaning in terms of the other movies and things. Um, but from an outsider, I was kind of like getting a little bored from some of it. But Okay. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, this is a really like fair criticism because Marvel, the Marvel Studio Universe wants everybody in those seats, not just sort of fanboys. Right. Right? They want everybody, Zachary. They they did get everybody in those seats. I mean, for God's yeah. sake, that's that's gonna make the Force Awakens look like it just got a pittance thrown in its cup. Okay, so they were they got everybody in the seats, but my question is, and my question even for myself, after I uh, saw it with my nephew, would I go back for more? Probably not. 
I kind of don't have a choice uh, because my spouse wants to go and see it, and I went and saw it without her. Uh, for this podcast specifically, in case she listens to this, you know, it was for business. Uh, I understand why the Russos had to do what they did, though, uh, in terms of the length of the film. Simply because of the fact you're wrapping up 11 years, you're taking a lot of these characters. Uh, for all we know, Hulk, that right arm, is never going to be the same again. Cap is 80 years old or 90 years old. I couldn't quite tell there. Steve Rogers looks good no matter what age he is. Uh, Iron Man's dead. Tony Stark, it's it's all over with that there. Black Widow's gone. Hawkeye's effectively retired. Uh, that's, that's a lot of stuff to cover. So, yeah, I mean, you do need the three-hour runtime. I just felt like certain things could have been paced a little bit better. And I'm trying to figure out where Loki went with the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When, when they went uh-huh. back to 2012, because that right. seems like a giant plot hole to me there. All right. Okay. So let's like rein in just a little bit here. No, I'm just, <laughs> okay. We just finished intro to film studies, uh, Imani and uh, Gia and uh, Zachary, and we talked a lot about shaping devices. But one of the reasons why I don't think I would go back for more is that yeah, it's like a good solid film narrative but there's nothing really extraordinary about it um and maybe we shouldn't expect it you know because marvel is marvel but what did you guys think well i agree um and i think one of their main attractions is also maybe just the all the build-up that was around it with it being like endgame kind of the last movie and also just it's uh i don't know like <laughs> I was thinking while I was watching it that Hulk was like really, I don't know, everything on it was so detailed. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. All, all that nice stubble and everything. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was yeah. thinking. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, let's go on. (laughs) It's interesting because in our class, like the primary things we talked about was the dynamization of like space and then the spatialization of time. And it felt like for a movie that was based on time travel, you would think that those elements would get some type of oomph. And it just felt like a very just like almost generic and overly reproduced like time travel narrative. I was very unimpressed in terms of just how it came about. And I was like, wow, this could have been a perfect point to kind of do different things with space and time, and it just didn't feel like it was utilized yeah. as good as it could have been. Yeah, so good for popcorn um, and a, maybe a first viewing to get, kind of feel like the story arcs have been completed, but I'm good. Like, I don't probably won't even, you know pirate copy it to my computer once it's on DVD because like I don't think I need to study it I I think that's fair I did again it's the time travel narrative there and it's usually very contrived whenever you go in ahead and you bring time travel or amnesia or something like that into a story it has to be done perfectly and this film does not do that Uh, but I, I think that was the intent it's supposed to be a nostalgic farewell. This is 11 years in the making, gang, to this point. We're saying a permanent farewell of these characters. Robert Downey Jr. is not going to suddenly Benjamin Button back to, what, <laughs> 41 years old or something like that. Uh, so these characters and these actors that we've seen playing these roles, it's all over. So I, I, 
I don't. Do I see I, a tears? I'm, 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 <laughs> I, I am so conflicted because even though I'm a DC guy, I have followed the MCU for the last 11 years. I bought into all the buildup and everything else. I was very excited going into this movie, and I did feel a little let down, but it's it's still like an 8 out of 10 for me. I mean, like I enjoyed the film, even though I can sit here and I can be critical of certain things that I felt that they did uh, incorrectly. Well, you know, we can enjoy the film for what it is, which is yeah. a popcorn movie that kind of, you know, finishes the arc for us, yeah. right? The yeah. big arc. So that's okay. Um, it's not Black Panther. No, no. <laughs> Black Panther, um, as we saw, right? People going back again and again because there were so much about it that was innovative in terms of not just content but the form. Yeah. Um, all right, some low-hanging fruit, you guys. Representation in Endgame. So Zachary was kind of gesturing toward the end when you actually have like a passing on of the torch to, in my book, actually, to superheroes of color finally. So Tessa Thompson, right, Valkyrie, and then of course the promise of a, an African American, a black Captain America. But were you guys also sensing that it was maybe um, an afterthought gesture? It felt really forced, if you ask me. Like, yeah, yeah. like they really thought it just had to be there. It was supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like a very, uh, I don't, I, I felt like it could have been earnest, but it just kind of felt like trying to right the wrongs of the Marvel Universe. And also, for an hour and 30 minutes, there was very poor representation. So then for the ending, it almost felt like, thank God, but also, uh, it, it felt very forced. Well, and I, I think that comes back to them trying to do so much, and you have to go on ahead and focus on the core Avengers from back in 2012. Right. Uh, that's part of what we saw there with uh, uh, the prior film. You know, you, you go on ahead and you erase a lot of these characters, so we don't have Sam there, we don't have T'Challa there. Uh, I felt like they went on ahead and they handled Steve and Sam's interaction there and passing on the shield very well. Mm -hmm. uh, Valkyrie and Thor, I completely agree with you guys. That felt contrived. It felt very forced. It almost felt like it was something that was tacked on at the last minute. They were like, oh, crap, you know, we, we have to do something with this here because he's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So... Okay, yeah, so let me throw out some more stuff that kind of, you know, rankled. Um in terms of this. So, okay, look, I see what they were doing with Thor and I appreciate it, right? So we've got Thor who's at the beginning saying, yeah, I approve of, you know, Carol Danvers, right? Miss Marvel, she's pretty cool, right? Like we, like you guys need approval, right? Right. right. Um, and then of course the turnabout, which, you know, you could sell, tell that the Russo brothers and the and the writers were, let's, let's throw in a kind of, um, you know, destabilizing a masculinity with Thor. So we're going to have him appear with like this, <laughs> probably the funniest part of the movie, yeah. seeing mm -hmm. right um, Thor with a big beer belly. Um, and then, of course, the crying and everything. But my, my thing was, isn't that already an acceptable, accepted form of like white masculinity? Like, Right? I mean, is that sure. really troubling masculinity? I don't know. You, the women here, let me... <laughs> yes. Uh, 
I yeah, I don't know. I feel like if you look in any executive office, there's at least thirty dudes with beer bellies. So in terms of like <laughs> that representation, and even if it was in some ways emasculating for Thor to be that way. Once we get to the Guardian of the Galaxy scene where him and I can't even remember the actor's name are fighting over who's going to take over the ship, it's like it's still able to be there and be present. And I wonder if they're going to slim Thor back down and what that would do to his narrative. Because I genuinely like Thor as a character, but I felt like he definitely was kind of this like superhero gatekeeper that was weird. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I saw Thor as like the big Lebowski with a hammer. That's, that's actually what Stark goes on ahead and calls him. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know like if we can go on ahead and say if uh, chubby and weepy is uh, acceptable masculinity. Uh, but I thought it was funny for the first two scenes. And after that, I'm kind of sitting there and I'm like, okay, they're, they're playing this up a bit too much, but they had done so well with Hemsworth and uh, the comedic and the physical comedy that he did in Ragnarok that that just kind of felt like the natural progression. And with him being in Guardians 3, those movies are always about that wry sense of humor that they have. So I think they're going to keep him chubby. I, I don't think that Asgardian metabolism is just going to kick up all of a sudden. And, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's still buff. I mean, you saw the biceps and everything there, right? So, Yeah, I'm sure this... He's, just ca- he's carrying a keg with him. That's, that's not a beer belly. That's a keg. CGI yeah. does remarkable things, both to make us look amazing, <laughs> super heroic, and also... To look couch potato like. <laughs> did, did anyone else think the final fight with Thanos though? And I'm I'm sorry, but I let out an audible laugh in the theater. Uh, three of them side by side there: Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. And I swear to God, I think Thor was still wearing his bathrobe until he uh, called Mjolnir to him. <laughs> ah, that. Hilarious. Of what? Are you objecting to bathrobes and no, no, hammers? no? <laughs> I'm not objecting to that at all. Okay. In fact, it would have been even funnier if he was carrying a rug around with him throughout the movie. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, other things that jumped out. Let me throw a couple of others, and then you guys can kind of jump in. But um, so, yeah, we get that. We know this from Infinity War that Thanos is answer to like the galaxy's problems is population control basically right um and there's a kind of ethics involved in that right a kind uh what we might call like a consequentialist ethics right the tro- a big giant trolley experiment of sorts um and then it goes wrong he realizes that taking out half the universe unless you take out the memory of the ones that survive because they're going to be operating on regret and sadness won't cure this sort of problems, right? Um, But along with Thanos, we've got basically the sense of, or the worldview of a conquistador, right? Someone who colonizes, who even almost says, like, it's my God-given right to conquer others, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what, 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 how did you, like, how does the Avengers assemble kind of work against that or maybe with that? Or how did we start to put these more kind of meta 
these larger things like into place as the film was wrapping, as this, you know, saga was wrapping up. I don't know if um, we start over here. Gia, what did you what did you think about all that? Um, can you state it in another way? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I know that was a little bit abstract, but um, you know, there's at base basically Thanos is a bully thug, right? Mm-hmm. Conquer, and but who uses the kind of worldview or ideology the worldview, the belief system that uh, was in place, for instance, when um, the indigenous peoples of the Americas were conquered and slaughtered, right, Um, or enslaved, that it was a God-given right that we could conquer this or that the Europeans could conquer this space, right? Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if the, you know, the writers, the filmmakers, are aware of this and if so what are they proposing or even in the Marvel Comics sort of universe what is being proposed as an alternative right to this moving forward on a big level right to you know handle all of the situations that we have today in the world I don't know Imani do you want to jump in and then Gia do you want to see yeah, I I don't know. Thanos is an interesting character in general, and I think trying to dissect his ideology was difficult for me because I couldn't fully understand where it was coming from. But I don't know. For me, the most rewarding scene is when all of the superheroes who were snapped away come back, and there's this big collective movement against almost, if you want to call it colonization, the reversal of it, of what it means to have predominantly women, women of color, people of color in general, being the ones who are the ones who come back and do the most work in that fight to conquer. And yes, Iron Man is ultimately the one who ends it, which for me was one of the few times I was like, yes, please let a white man take the fall for humanity. But I don't know. I just, Thanos' ideology is very hard to dissect, whereas when you're dealing with maybe the Joker versus Batman, you can kind of see a little bit of it, but I don't know. I can't dissect it personally. Gia, did any further thoughts on that? It's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I gotta say, I'm not sure, like, of the context of Thanos, and like, I mean, what, what are his motivations here? Yeah, I think that's what it, kind of Imani was get, getting at. We're not exactly sure like how he's supposed we're supposed to be sympathetic to him at some point right i mean they definitely want us to be sympathetic to him he's a kind of a thoughtful conqueror uh right right um but i don't think any of us really know like how is like taking away 50 percent of like the you know the galaxies and outer outer galaxies populations somehow going to make things better. I don't know. Zachary, you you help us. Uh, more resources to go around. I mean, I'll, I'll just go on ahead and I'll play devil's advocate here for a second. Uh, but no, I, I, I agree with that because what's his key line in the film? You know, right before he thinks he's got the gauntlet back and he's got the stones. I am inevitable. Uh, so going on ahead and drawing on your comment there about uh, colonialism and the legacy of that there. 
it it was inevitable. I mean, European countries, they were further along technologically at that point in time, and they decided to use uh, those advancements in a way that did not have any respect for the collective humanity of other people. Uh, Thanos is doing the exact same thing. He has marshaled this incredible army. They have all of these ships and everything else. And what's he doing with all that? He's going around, he's stealing artisan items that belong to other planets for the sole purpose of going off and killing people. Yeah, it's definitely... Okay, so film studies scholars here. I see this actually just kind of magnify to superheroic scale, but we see it all the time in movies. Isn't it always... It seems to be a convention of there's fate... Right. So your say destiny, you're destined, right, to be this or that, or destined to meet this person or that, depending on the genre. Um, and then the struggle is how you as a person assert or step into say the flow of this destiny to determine your own right future. And right Thor at a certain moment at the end when he passes the flame over to, you know, uh, Tessa Thompson's like, you know, I'm done, you know, basically being what people have told me to be. I want to be who I am. And so, right, in many ways, almost every movie we watch can be boiled down to this struggle between individual act and what's, say, predetermined, right? Um, and I liked Imani's comment about, you know, uh, Avengers Assemble and then the women of color coming in here basically as the catalyst that switches the battle, right, from them losing to them winning. Um, and it is a collective action. But at base, if you strip it all back, I think it's still kind of like, you know, your, Gia, your like ability to kind of like shape your destiny versus what others or what is fated to be your destiny right that's being kind of reconstructed on an epic level i don't know what did you is that too much (laughs) (laughs) i feel like they didn't give us much to go anywhere else but to ask the question of what thanos's mission was and what the counteracting of that would be but Yeah. yeah it definitely feels like it was a lot of having to undo the wrongs that this person did that had nothing to do with the characters who were snapped away. I also was very conscious of who was being snapped away. And when I I was happy I got to see, uh, not Endgame, uh, Infinity Infinity Wars as like close to Endgame. Because I was like, wow, they got rid of a lot of characters I personally would have liked to see in the bringing back of certain characters. But I don't know. We, we've got Galactus probably at some point, so that that's going to be T'Challa, that's going to be Captain Marvel, uh, that's going to be all these characters that we've been introduced to over the last uh, few movies. Uh, they're going to be the key figures and the lead figures in those fights, so... So at least I'm gonna, I hope it's Galactus. Well, I, I, I want a big-ass fight in space. <laughs> you're a DC guy anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um... So, okay, my last little thing, and then I'm going to ask you guys, I don't know, say something nice about this movie. <laughs> um, my little thing, of course, because, you know, I'm always hunting for the Latino stuff, right? The Latinx stuff. And in that sort of 
50% that's disappeared. I felt like I was watching um, this mockumentary that was made about a decade ago called A Day Without a Mexican when, like, hypothetically, all of us are disappeared from the U.S. and suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God, who's, like... The restaurants are closed. This the garbage is piling up, right? And the, please come back to our country, right? And I was like, hold on, this is Endgame. Fifty percent. I don't see any Latinos in this movie. Um, we are there in that like Ant Man has a taco, right? Right. So right. we got the taco. <laughs> we got Luis's van from Ant Man, right? So Miguel Pena's Michael Pena's character in Ant Man, um, he's a Latino, of course, and it's his van. So we got the van, and then we got mention of Hawkeye in Mexico, Latin America, and the drug cartels. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, business as usual yep. here in terms of representation. I don't know if you guys... Uh, e- even after 50% of humanity has been wiped out, yeah, the, the, the cartels were seemingly not included in Thanos' list people to turn into dust there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay, so... Um, let's end on a positive note. Um, Imani, anything that was really super cool? <laughs> I think just the passing. I, when all the women of color came out, to me, I was like, I just turned to my friend who's also a queer woman of color, and we both were like, finally, thank God, um, they get the opportunity to kick ass, yeah. basically. Um, and I just also thought the passing of the torch, even if it wasn't as organic, having the idea of a black Captain America to move forward in the future and having Valkyrie move forward. I think even if the whole movie itself was a bomb in certain people's minds, the possibility of a future after that is positive for me. I might actually be a Marvel girl if I get to see some of those things happen. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Gia, what about you? Um, I really liked their... um their takes on femininity and masculinity um, with the characters. Um, I know this kind of this kind of relates to what you were saying, but with some like kick-ass women, um, like who really got the big climactic fight at the end, um, really started. Um, and as you're talking about Thor with like his kind of. Uh, not so pretty body and. <laughs> um, you know, um, he's still yeah. adorable. Come on. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'll adorable. agree with that. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, if I think of more, I'll say it a little later. <laughs> I, I am disappointed in all four of us here right now because none of us have brought up Pepper Potts, who has sat on oh, the sidelines yeah. for yeah. eleven years, except for like two and a half minutes in Iron Man Three. I saw you put your hand up, there, Professor. <laughs> Uh, so I was really kind of excited about that. I love that. I have loved her character in the comics going back. How long have I been reading Iron Man now? Somewhere around about a quarter of a century. Uh, but my favorite scene is not a scene at all. And it is when we hear that little outro after the credits and we hear Tony slamming the hammer down, making the mask for the Mark one armor. Uh, because that just threw me back in the DeLorean and I'm back in the theater in 2008 uh, watching Iron Man for the first time and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking this is great but none of this is going to take off and then you fast forward 11 years later and it's the biggest movie franchise in history and I will make a comment that I think some of my nerd friends will kill me for 
I think that the MCU as a collective whole has, uh, in terms of a serialized cinematic series, passed Star Wars. I, I think it's better wow. than the Star Wars movies. That's a bold statement. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, thank you, Zachary, Imani, and Gia for you know spending some time talking about Endgame. Thanks. Thank you.